Welcome to the Azra Rap Podcast, Episode 5, Point of Care Ultrasound, POCUS. This is Raj Gupta with your co-host, Eric Schwenk. Our guests today are Anahi Perlis, Jan Bublik, and Stephen Haskins. Welcome to the Azra Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Raj Gupta, and with me is my co-host, as always, Eric Schwenk. And we have uh, three wonderful guests with us today for today's show. Uh, we have Anahi Perlis, from, uh, who's an associate professor of anesthesia at the University Health Network in, at Toronto Western Hospital. We have Jan Bublik, who's an assistant professor at Stanford University. And we have Stephen Haskins, who's a clinical assistant professor at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. And uh, the five of us are going to talk about point-of-care ultrasound and how that applies to anesthesiologists today. Before I get into that, of course, I want to tell you about a couple of dates that are really important that you want to keep an eye out for. Um, we've just passed the early bird deadline for the ASRA ASA ultrasound-guided regional anesthesia uh, portfolio cadaver course that's going to be in Chicago, but there's still registration open for that. So if you go to azra.com, you can go check that out. The other thing that you want to see when you get there is the fall pain meeting is coming up really soon, November 17th through the 19th, and that's in San Diego. And we're going to talk about something else in San Diego in here in a minute. But um, And then the deadline for abstracts for the fall pain meeting is still open. That'll be going on until September 7th. The, the last little plug I want to do is a self-promotion thing. Make sure you go, uh, go out to iTunes and check out the Azra Rap podcast on iTunes. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Uh, tell your friends about us. Uh, spread the word because the more ratings and reviews we have on there, good comments on there, that helps people know that this is a real thing and something worth listening to. So if you can take a minute and do that for us, that would be fantastic. So um, – to, to as an introduction to the topic that we're going to talk about today, I'd like to um, let you guys do a quick promo about what you're doing with Point of Care Ultrasound coming up next year, and then we'll talk about the topic a little bit. Who wants to introduce the uh, the meeting you guys are having in February? Stephen, go for it. Sure. Uh, so we're very excited to announce the inaugural. Um, Introduction to Perioperative Point-of-Care Ultrasound course that's happening in San Diego on the last weekend of February. Uh, it's going to be a dynamic and very interactive day, um, action-packed, uh, going to be learning multiple ways to assess patients in the perioperative setting from head to lower abdomen, pelvis, uh, not quite toe, but uh, <laughs> going to look at airway, lung, uh, gastric, um, cardiac, and, and also a trauma assessment through the, the FAST exam. Um, and the nice thing about it is you also get uh, basic focus assessed transthoracic echocardiography or FATE certification from the course. Uh, and we've partnered with a company, um, usabcd.org, uh, which, which was created by the, the um, uh, sort of uh, originator and the inventor of the FATE protocol and his, some of his colleagues uh, to provide online e-learning uh, for the uh, course, so that way all the didactic learning happens prior to 
uh, arriving in San Diego. So that way the two days are dedicated to hands-on training and making sure that you can walk out of there feeling comfortable and confident that you can, that you can start using these skills in, uh, in your own uh, clinical setting. And that also adds significantly to the CME value. So you end up getting almost 30 uh, CME credits for just, uh, just two days of, of being at the course. So, uh, very excited. Uh, a lot of great faculty from all over the country and also um, coming from internationally from Canada and Eric Sloth, who's the founder, uh, um, again, of, of USABCD and, and the originator of Basic Fate, will be flying in from Denmark to lead uh, the Basic Fate component of it as well. Wow. And, and how can people find out about this and register? There is several opportunities. You can go on the ASRA website. Um, on, on the special interest group website itself, on, on the courses of and the Azra section there, and you can log in or you can email us at focus at azra.com and we'll send you the, the link for login information. Cool. And, and just uh, in case uh, anybody thinks we're just blowing smoke here, I actually registered for the conference today. So I'm going to be there because I'm really excited about this conference. I, I don't know if I told Anahi this. She just got on the phone call. But um, looking forward to being out in San Diego for that conference. I, I think that's going to be a great meeting. So, Fantastic. Yeah. So um, to, to start the topic off, let's um, we kind of gave a teaser about what we're going to talk about. But we haven't really said uh, what point of care ultrasound is. Anahi, you want to talk about uh, what, what this is and why it's a relevant topic right now? Uh, sure. Um, you know, there's uh, several definitions, but the one that I, I think uh, fits um, very, very well is uh, one that was put together by emergency physicians, actually. And basically, point of care ultrasound is defined as a bedside use of ultrasound to answer a very specific, very well-defined clinical question that is performed, the exam is performed by the same clinicians or by the group of clinicians looking after the patient uh, in the place where the patient is being looked after um, in order to guide management and ultimately improve patient outcomes. So what does that mean? Uh, You know, Focus or point-of-care ultrasound applications are all diagnostic applications of ultrasound being looking at the heart or looking at the lung or uh, looking at the abdomen and, and many others. But what they have in common is they are not meant to replace other higher forms of imaging. They are not meant to replace uh, a full comprehensive echo, um, uh, echocardiogram or, or to replace a CT scan or an MRI. They are meant to be used as an extension of your physical examination when these other forms of imaging are either uh, not applicable to the a clinical situation because we're usually dealing with an acute clinical situation when you cannot possibly move the patient or they're not available and you need a relatively quick answer to a very important clinical question. So, for example, you are in the operating room at 3 o'clock in the morning and your patient is um, uh, hemodynamically unstable and hypotensive. You have done all the usual normal uh, initial resuscitation measures, and it's not clear to you whether the problem is, for example, a, a hypovolemia or the problem is a contractility issue. 
So uh, to answer that very specific clinical question uh, in, a, in a place in the hospital where you may not have other uh, uh, means uh, to answer this question, this is where point of care ultrasound can be uh, ex- extremely useful. Just to answer a very specific question, um, so therefore the exam that you're going to do is relatively limited. It has a limited number of views. Um, it has to be done in a, uh, be able to be performed in a timely manner, so relatively short, um, in a systematic way. And to fit this definition as well, the exam has to be uh, easy to perform and learn. So that's a very, you know, very uh, sort of global definition of it. And it, it applies similarly whether we are talking about focus or limited point of care uh, cardiac ultrasound or evaluating the lung to rule out a pneumothorax, for example, in acute situations, or evaluating the abdomen to decide whether there is free fluid in the abdomen and there could be, a, for example, a, an intra-abdominal bleed. Um, many of these applications are well beyond the area of anesthesia, and, and they, are, they have been used for some time uh, in the emergency department, in the trauma setting, in intensive care. And, of course, with, with, uh, with these other colleagues, we share, um, I think we share a very common perspective in dealing with acute situations, with sick patients, in which you may need, um, you know, a relatively fast answer to your clinical question to guide your management. Uh, so I think we have a lot in common with these colleagues, and I think there's really a, a really a huge uh, increase in interest in the use of point-of-care uh, again, not to replace other forms of imaging, but to expand our ability to diagnose uh, potentially life-threatening conditions in acute situations. And I think this this, this can be of great um, great help uh, to an anesthesiologist, just as it is for intensivists or emergentologists. Anahi, this is Eric here. Uh, how are you? Hi, Eric. Very well. Uh, how much experience do you think somebody needs to be able to competently do one of these exams, let's say uh, a point-of-care ultrasound exam uh, to, to diagnose a pneumothorax or rule it out, rather? Right. Well, that's a good question. And, of course, each application um, is different. Uh, for, for In particular, for uh, lung ultrasound and pneumothorax, it's a relatively uh, simple uh, study to perform. Um, and uh, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not aware of the top of my head of a particular uh, study that looks at learning curves and number and, and number of studies, and there may be some out there. In my own experience, I think, for that particular application, is relatively simple, and I would expect something in the order of uh, 10 or 20 exams. I'm really doing a kind of a guesstimate. Uh, for example, in, in when it comes to gastric ultrasound, we have done a, a study um, looking at fellows uh, who have experience with other applications of ultrasound and learning gastric ultrasound for the first time. And to be 95% accurate in the diagnosis, they need uh, close to 40 examinations for gastric ultrasound. Uh, perhaps cardiac is, uh, I think, uh, a little bit more complex. And I'm, I might let uh, perhaps uh, Stephen and Young comment on that one since we have more experience in that one. 
Well, Jan, to, to go along with Anahi's question there, um, you know, we have existing medicine. She mentioned physical exams. She mentioned uh, she didn't mention it, but stethoscopes or other assessments we have for a lot of these tools, chest X-rays or CT scans. Um, you know, what's the advantage of this over those existing methods? Eric, very, very good uh, question. I think the you know to circle back to Anna, you think it's a continuum, and I think I wouldn't put a number on the exams. But even with very limited training, which you know, what people see when they come to the course is, you do feel confident you can assess empty versus full if there's any gross valvular abnormalities. So that to like make these decisions in the operating room. If it's if it's a, in the, in the, it's always in the clinical context, so it becomes you know obvious to to fine tune and quantify some of the finer points. Of course, that takes some time. Um, where does this fit? To come back to your question, where does this fit in relationship to uh, physical exam? It is always called a stethoscope of the twenty first century, and I think that's where it fits in and where the importance of focus is, it will allow us to talk to our colleagues like cardiologists, radiologists, emergency medicine physicians, to give them, if we remember in the heat of the clinical moment, to record it, this is how it looked. So even if we can perfectly relay our, you know, we can relay the clinical picture, even the image isn't perfect, it gives them a starting point to start working up the patient at some at, at uh, afterwards, and um, with the stethoscope of the future, in fact, there was been by one of the faculty at the course, Davinder Ramsing. He had a article recently in anesthesiology where it was found that it was more sensitive and more specific for tra- uh, for endotracheal tube placement even than um, chest X-rays. So. Mm. For example, I mean, of course, this uh, also varies from application to application, but there is at least two studies that I'm aware of that show that, for example, in the acute trauma situation, uh, point-of-care ultrasound is more sensitive than chest X-ray to diagnose uh, a small pneumothoracic. So uh, the sensitivity is very high. Um, so, you know, I think, I think this is, this is uh, speaks for itself. And um, again, most of the use of this is in acute scenarios when you need to rule out or rule in uh, important causes of um, you know patient uh, patient being stable and having and having acute problems. Uh, if we are not talking about diagnosing chronic conditions on stable patients, in which you can do a full workup with your usual imaging and so forth, we are talking about acute situations in which you cannot move the patient from where the patient is or you may not be able to get, uh, you know, that extra um, full diagnostic assessment. And sometimes it's this or nothing. So this is in addition to your, you know, to your clinical assessment, basically. Can I just tack on two things from those previous questions? Um, so when it comes to, you know, comfort level, I think that there there are Two ways to think of it. Um, you do have to see enough normal to be able to confidently see what is grossly abnormal. Um, and depending on the exam, uh, you know, it may require 
you know, only a handful of exams to clearly see that there's no lung sliding and possibly a pneumothorax with a lung ultrasound versus being able to tell the difference between a normally contracting heart and one that's contracting, you know, not, not so well. But, but I, I think the, the nice thing about it is that we do have the capacity to learn these skills very quickly. And there have been multiple studies that have come out about even cardiac, um, focused cardiac ultrasound, demonstrating that if you focus on a very particular pathology, um, for example, aortic stenosis, and you train people how to evaluate the aortic valve for, for severe, moderate severe aortic stenosis, so this is a severe, you know, this is a pretty obvious form of pathology um, versus what's normal. Within a period of just two hours of training, um, there was a study that came out, you know, anesthesia residents were able to confidently come up with a diagnosis of moderate to severe aortic stenosis after doing an hour of lecture and an hour of hands-on training um, uh, on, on models and, and patients. So, so it, it, it varies, um, obviously, from from uh, exam to exam, but but what we're looking for is being able to differentiate between that looks like every other normal that I've seen versus this is clearly different and this is causing life-threatening, um, you know, hemodynamic instability. Uh, and in regards to what was the second question? One more time. Well, just in comparison to other um, exam tools, you know, what's being taught in the physical exam class in medical school? I mean, this is very different than that. Yeah, I would say the benefit uh, is that it's a non-invasive technology that allows you to assess what's going on within the patient without exposing them to harmful radiation and uh, and allows you to continuously assess them. Um, So you can go back to the bedside and, and, you know, in acute and critical type scenarios, patients' pathology evolves uh, pretty dramatically and rapidly. And so you don't want to start making clinical decisions based on a full echo exam that was performed four hours before. It's helpful to go to the bedside and take a look at what's happening with the heart at that moment um, or you know, evaluate whether or not the pneumothorax has increased in size or has decreased in size and so on. So I would say that's, that's the biggest benefit is we, we're adding to what we already use, which is our stethoscope and our physical exam and looking at vital signs and, and clinical assessment. But now we can look inside of the patient, uh, assess for pathology, assess for evolving pathology without exposing them to radiation um, and, and get real-time information about how to manage uh, uh, that patient. Now, Stephen, you mentioned the ease with which medical students were able to diagnose severe aortic stenosis. Going along with that, there was a I don't know if you guys saw there was a paper uh, in ANA from last month. Thomas Edrich was the primary author on that, and they basically compared web-based training along with uh, classroom training. You know the paper I'm talking about in yep. uh, teaching yep. anesthesiologists uh, how to diagnose uh, pneumothorax, and they found that web uh, web-based training was not inferior, and they used uh, ER docs as the the quote gold standard. But um, what do you think about that? I mean, it seems like if it's that simple to do web-based training, you know, for uh, for ruling out pneumothorax and aortic stenosis and some of these other conditions, should it be kind of a standard part of the medical curriculum? I guess following up from what Raj said. Well, I what I would say is is sort of twofold. Um, you know, one. And just to promote the course a little bit, we we're purposely using online um, e-learning. Uh, you know. As, as our means to communicate because I think it, it allows people to get a standardized level of knowledge base. Uh, it allows people to go at their own pace. 
um, so that way they're they're able to sort of you know absorb the information. There are small quizzes throughout that reinforce what what the pertinent information is, and I think that's also a nice benefit of of doing something online as it's more interactive than if you're just giving a lecture, um, a, you know, to a group, a large group of, of individuals. But I actually did a, a similar uh, study um, at my institution looking at both lung and fast, basically teaching the extended fast exam. And what we, what you see is that, is that the, although didactics and e-learning are, are, are comparable um, or online, uh, you know, web-based teaching are comparable, uh, the benefit of having an online web uh, you know, e-learning module or web-based module is is that you you have consistency across the board in terms of the information that's being taught and the quality of the information. Uh, so so you know you may not have every. It's difficult to have a faculty member give the same lecture every single month. That's very cost. Uh, that's very expensive and time-consuming. Um, so if you can engage, uh, you know, residents and medical students uh, through a, a standardized, um, sort of tested online method, uh, then you're going to be able to educate uh, a higher volume of people while at the same time ensuring the same quality as a, as a great lecture um, given to a smaller group, uh, you know, uh, on a less frequent basis. So, Jan, um, what, what is the other standard protocols or standard um, criteria for any of these um, evaluations with point-of-care ultrasound, or are we still at the very beginning stages of this where those standards are still being established? Well, there, there is, you know, everybody loves an acronym. Everybody loves a protocol. There's numerous protocols for, for, for all of this. Um, the, the reason, you know, why, why we ended up going with USABCD and the FAPE protocol is because Unlike a lot of the other protocols, it you know the FAPE protocol allows uh, or encompasses not only assessment of the heart but also of the plural space to kind of put this in a in a context of not only looking at the heart but how this in the cardiopulmonary system how it's affected what the cause of the you know of the human instability is so it's more comprehensive in that sense. Um, Anna, he has done, you know, a lot of work and um, pretty much um, for, for the gastric ultrasound part, it's, you know, standards. I, I don't know if they have an acronym per se, per se but that is further events. I think other stuff um, like the airway exams and your other point of care ultrasound applications are sort of more rudimentary and that's work that, you know, we, you know, we and others need to address in, in the future to standardize it. Although there's been already a comprehensive um, algorithm for for conference educational program developed by Davinder Ramsing from Loma Linda, who also is going to be on the faculty at called Foresight, that's sort of a pretty comprehensive assessment. So, but as a whole thing, it's still you know it's work that remains to be done and curricula to be developed for an overall sort of all-encompassing point of care ultrasound curriculum yeah I would say that a lot of a lot of these um, uh, point of care ultrasound uh, protocols have 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 developed over time fast is the perfect example of that for trauma assessment and that's been practiced for for you know a couple decades now in in emergency medicine 
literature and has it since evolved to the, the extended fast exam where they now assess for uh, fusions and for pneumothorax and trauma patients. Um, so that, that I think, sort of set the mold. Um, you know, FATE is, is something that's probably one of the older focused cardiac ultrasound uh, um, uh, protocols out there, but there are countless others, um, you know, focus echocardiography and life support, which is more focused on patients who are, um, you know, under, undergoing cardiac arrest. Um, there are other ones that focus uh, on, on uh, you know, patients who are determining between different types of septic shock. Uh, and when it comes to lung, I would say, you know, bedside lung ultrasound um, and emergencies of the blue protocol is probably by, by Dr. Lichtenstein is probably the, the most famous protocol for assessing for different pulmonary pathology. And so uh, anything that's been out for an extended period of time does have a, a, a protocolized and, and systematic way to evaluate the patient to ensure that you're not missing anything major. Um, but uh, I think as more and more people start incorporating this into their practice, uh, there, there will be, uh, you know, new ways to, to ensure that we are, you know, the important information is not slipping through the cracks. So our, our, to go off of that, so if we have protocols, we have some sort of groupings of uh, normal uh, expectations for these exams. Are we at a point where there's going to be uh, certifications, uh, fellowship training, um, a more advanced, more regimented um, approval that says, hey, this person, I know your course is trying to get at that, but how do we repeat that in residency programs or fellowship programs or across the country and internationally as well? Anahi, why don't you start with that one? Sure. Um, you know, I think I think we're so. There's a number of things. One is I think each area of point of care ultrasound is in a different stage of development. So just to emphasize something, I think that was already said. Some areas are very well developed and have been relatively well established for two, three decades, and others are more rudimentary and they're potentially exciting, but they're newer and therefore not as well established. What what I have seen in the last couple of years is a growing interest in terms of incorporating several of these applications into residency training. Um, and the uh, article uh, by uh, Dr. Ramsing was mentioned in anesthesiology from UC Irvine. They introduced in their uh, residency education sort of a standardized uh, five-point or five areas application for point of care ultrasound specifically for anesthesiology residents, including, um, if I'm not wrong, airway, lung, uh, gastric, cardiac, and fast. Um, and uh, there's also several editorials uh, within the anesthesiology literature just in the last six months in anesthesia and analgesia and in BJA. Um, uh, and in anesthesia as well, the British, uh, one of the British journals, calling for uh, increased uh, residency training in these areas. And as you can imagine, because it's relatively new in terms of incorporating into uh, residency training, I don't think it's completely established as to what areas need to be, uh, you know, incorporated and what is the best way to teach them. Uh, and the Canadian side of things, I'm aware, at least at the University of Toronto, 
emergency physicians have a fellowship on point of care ultrasound for emergency physicians. Um, it's, uh, I think, much, uh, I would say, many more content than these last five. They have a comprehensive curriculum that is quite extensive, and they have very detailed training. And again, it's a specific fellowship for emergency physicians who are, have special interest in, in point of care ultrasound. Um, in ITU, I've also seen, um, on the ITU side of things, I've seen uh, quite a few programs that are starting to incorporate uh, point-of-care ultrasound as part of ICU training. And they've um, developed guidelines for ICU training as well when it comes to point-of-care ultrasound. Right, right. So it sounds like this stuff is kind of coming piecemeal um, and there's different areas that are advancing at different paces. So that, that leads me to my final question, and I always try to um, see if we can get a little bit of uh, interesting conversation about this last one, which is um, we're obviously going to be stepping on somebody's toes. Um, you know, when you start talking about doing things outside the area that normal anesthesiologists have been doing before, then, you know, a cardiac exam may be stepping on the billing of some cardiologist who routinely comes to the OR to do an echo or a radiologist who routinely does exams for neurothorax. Um, has that been mostly received collaboratively or is there antagonism saying that anesthesiologists are stepping outside their normal scope of practice? Jan, you want to kind of address that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I don't know that it has been much discussed yet in terms of what, you know, uh, how much overlap there is. Um, the one place I know where it was addressed is the University of Nebraska that has a fairly comprehensive um, point of care, not point of care, but TTE and TEE training program where, you know, it took a lot of conversation, one or to make it clear that this is not stepping on the toes of a cardiologist or a radiologist, but more providing them with the cardiologist with a patient that's going to be under their care and with the radiologist not to replace the um, the um, chest x-ray just yet, but it, to give you a point, a time point and a data point for them to be able to assess it. And so... I think you know there's there's, there's going to be apprehension. There's conversations to be had, but I think it's more to think of it as a as a, as a skill, just like what we were talking about with um, the stethoscope and the exam and the acute situation in the operating room will supply them with patients that they're going to follow longitudinally or exams follow exams that are going to be done by them, not by anesthesiologists. Yeah, I would. What I would add is, um, I think that there, are, there, are, the the most obvious uh, potential conflict is is transthoracic echocardiography because cardiologists have had um, control over that domain for for you know uh, forever several several decades now, basically since the, the beginning of of ultrasound, um, and so I, there has been a, an international movement to embrace focused cardiac ultrasound just because cardiologists uh, don't necessarily practice the same way internationally as they do here. Um, billing is not the same, and so I think they 
they probably appreciate uh, an anesthesiologist doing a focused exam, um, getting information and relaying that to them. Um, But the American Society of Echocardiography actually in 2013 released um, what they called uh, an expert consensus statement on focused cardiac ultrasound. Um, And they use that terminology very specifically because they want to differentiate between a focused cardiac ultrasound exam and a transthoracic echocardiography exam. And they listed in great detail the circumstances in which it's appropriate to perform a focused cardiac ultrasound exam, um, how that information should be utilized, how it should be communicated to the patient, um, what type of exam you're doing, that it's not a full transthoracic echo exam. Um, and, you know, I, I you know, emergency medicine physicians, for example, have been billing for a focused cardiac ultrasound exam every time they do a fast exam. They assess the, the pericardium for an effusion. Um, and so I think that there's, you know, clear you know, definition of what, what is a limited or a focused cardiac ultrasound exam versus a full exam. But they realize that they can't be everywhere in the hospital. Um, they can't be at every, um, you know, bedside of a patient who's hemodynamically unstable. And, and there's, uh, recently there was an article, the International Evidence-Based Recommendations for Focused Cardiac Ultrasound, which, which is sort of a, a much larger group, not just an American group, talking again about all the scenarios in which this is, is going to be ben- beneficial for clinici- clinicians. So, uh, I, I, there, there's still room for, for uh, you know, growth and development in, in that conversation, but I think they're, they're realizing the, the momentum is, is going behind. We need to, be, we need to ha- use this tool at the bedside. So I think they're laying the foundation for how it should be done, and, and I think what will grow from that is, is you know, what a standard clinician should be doing with a, with a transthoracic phase array probe versus a, a cardiologist. So uh, I, I have about 10 more questions to ask you guys, but for the sake of time, we're going to wind this conversation down. Conveniently, I'm going to ask you guys in person in San Diego in February. So if anybody else wants to join me and ask some really cool questions and see some really neat stuff, uh, go to Azra.com, go find the course, go register. I'd love to meet you guys there with these other three. And um, I think it's a really neat topic. I think it's something that anesthesiologists have to be aware of and expand our practice um, where it's needed. So I want to thank you guys for joining us for the conversation. I think this is a great topic. And um, we will see everybody or hear everybody the next time for the next show. We've got some more topics in the works, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for thank you. having me. Pleasure. Bye-bye.